Good morning, Community Church. For those that are online watching now, welcome this morning. The Ecclesia has gathered, and we're not passive. We're not waiting for something to happen to us. We're entering into the presence of God, and we're participating. We each have something valuable to bring, whether it's an offering, whether it's a prayer. Your faith matters, your declaration matters, your worship matters. So as we open up this morning and as we begin, don't wait for something to happen to you first, but step in, bring your faith, bring who you are, bring the testimony of the goodness of God that's already been in your life this week. Activate and move forward in the name of Jesus. Come on, as we're singing, let's cry out to the Lord. The Spirit and the Bride, say, come. The King is coming. Oh, Jesus. Oh, God, we long, we long, we long for you to come. God, we say, let everything in our hearts cry out. Cry out. Cry out. You know, the prayer of the church is summarized in Revelations by these words. This word, come. The Spirit and the Bride say, come. Every longing, every bit of intercession inside of you, every time you say, Lord, bring this, bring righteousness, Lord, defeat evil, God, you are saying, come, Lord, let your rain come. Let your spirit come. Let your righteousness fill the earth. Let the waters of life overflow their banks and run into the, sh- into the, the coolies, run into the valleys, run in, Lord, to the streets of Alberta. Run across. Let it flood this nation and city and region. Oh, God. Come, Holy Spirit, come, we pray. We pray, come, Lord, we say, come, Lord. Come here, God. And the cry came up in French in me, and I'm not French. Oh, God. Both official languages in Canada, we cry out, come here, God. Come near to us, God. Come to the nation. Oh, God, Vienici. Draw near to us, God. Vieni see. We open our hearts and we prostrate ourselves before you, God. Vieni see. Come to us, oh God. Oh, our hearts cry out to you, God. Our only help, our only deliverance. Vieni see. Oh, come. Oh, come. Oh, come. Vieni, see God. And I begin to hear the cry in different languages. First Nations crying out in their tongue. Indian descendants crying out in their tongue. Chinese believers crying out in Mandarin. In the north, in Inuk, crying out, Come, Lord! 
every tribe and race and nation inside Canada crying out, Oh, come! Vieni see, God! Vieni see! I want to declare this morning that the fullness of the kingdom of God will not come to pass until the sons find their place, until you, children of the Most High, step in to the fullness of your destiny. Oh, he cannot come. He sits at the right hand of the throne of God until his enemies are made his footstool, and that will happen None other than through the perfecting of the body of Christ, a bride without spot and without wrinkle that demonstrates the wisdom of God to principalities and powers. So we say, we, we resist the accusation. We resist the intimidation. We resist that which would suppress our destiny, which would suppress our ability to rise up in boldness in this hour. In Jesus' name. Come on. We're interceding for a people across the nation of Canada to rise up in boldness who love their lives not unto death. Rise up. Rise up. Rise up in every sector, in every province, in every city. Yeah, yeah. Oh, we contend. We contend. We are contending. We are contending for the unborn. We are contending for land and tribes and peoples. We are contending for those held in captivity under the heaviness of darkness, of depression and suicide, we say in Jesus' name, let the flares of the Lord go over your heads and let the flare of hope awaken the promise of God in your heart once again. Oh, let it awaken the promise of God in your heart again. Let it awaken. Oh. Earlier in the uh, singing, I saw an old man. I had an open vision. I saw an old man that was blinded by cloudy eyes. This is the spirit over the nation of Canada. The Lord then took me to 2 Kings 6. 17, and I'll just declare it. Then Elisha prayed and said, O Lord, please open the eyes that he may see. 
So the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw, and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. So, Father, we bring the nation before you. Father, we say that this nation has been blind, blinded by an ancient spirit, Lord. And we command and declare, decree and prophesy to the nation that the cloudiness over the eyes of the nation will be removed by the authority in the name of Jesus Christ. We command the blindness and the shutters of the eyes of the soul of this nation to come off in Jesus' name. You know what? This nation will bow its knee to God. Ottawa will bow its knee to God. Edmonton will bow its knee to God. And you may think, well, how do you know that? How can you be so sure? Because every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he is Lord. And the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. No stone will be left unturned. And the only question is, how is it going to happen? And the answer is right here in this room. The answer is watching online. Your willingness to step up. You know, there's this great prophetic picture when God said to Abraham, he said, listen, I want you to walk the land and every place on which your foot shall tread, I've given it to you. All you have to do is put your foot on the land. All you have to do is stand in your place. Jonathan When the Philistines were ruling in the land, that's what he discovered, that when we go up against the Philistines and just stand in the land, the earth shook. The earth shook. There was an earthquake, and the enemy's camp began to melt away. Why? Because the righteous ones, the sons of God, took their place. That's all that that needs to happen. So, Father, we pray today that the righteous ones will take their place. Lord, that you would give us a spirit of boldness. Father, to speak without hesitation in Jesus' name. And everybody said? Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Glory to God. That was good. If we had four more hours, we could have really developed that. Yeah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Let's just pause for a second here. God in heaven. God in heaven. God in heaven. God in heaven. Father, we, in my spirit, and uh, uh, Thank you, Lord. 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 Uh, we, we didn't just stir up Leviathan. We didn't, we didn't just stir up a political spirit. The Spirit of God sends notice to principalities and powers in Canada. The sound of inevitability is the sound of the moving of the depths of the earth, the roar of the deep, when God stirs himself, is a warning and a signal that judgment is coming. And we say 
to the enemies of our soul. We say fear. We say fear in Jesus' name. Let the earth quake and let the foundations of the deep begin to shake, 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 shake. Need more volume on that keyboard, please. Shake, 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 shake. Let everything that can be shaken, everything that can be shaken. Now, don't be mistaken with the idea that all of this sounds in the background and everything is for dramatic effect. It's much more than that. Jesus said, that which I hear my Father say. That which I hear my Father. What I hear coming from my Father, I manifest. And there are sounds. There are spiritual sounds. Oh, even the way drums prophesy. Do you know drums can prophesy? There is knowledge in the sound of the drum. There is knowledge in the sound of the trumpet. I'm going to start to, to lean into this. Feel free to stand. Feel free to walk around. Feel free to shout. Feel free to groan. Feel free to release your cry. But we are part. We are the outcome of a promise that God made to his son before the foundations of the earth. Uh, the Godhead, the Father spoke to the Son, Jesus, who came as the express image of the Father. He said, the Father said to the Son, I will give you the nations. You will have the nations. Ooh. <laughs> Father, I pray that that assurance would embolden a new generation of believers, uh, would strengthen our stand and our march, would enter the sound of our words. He shall have dominion. Lord, that we will say with boldness, God, you will reign. You reign. Nothing can stand against you. I just feel the overwhelming superlative power of God. The supreme ability to subjugate every voice, every sound, every knowledge to bring into captivity everything that rises up against the knowledge of God. In Jesus' name. <laughs> do, you, do you want me to give you a potential picture of your future? Do you remember when Stephen, Stephen rose up on that day and he confounded uh, the Pharisees and the Sadducees? They had no response for him. And it says that they could not overcome the wisdom with which he spoke. Do you, do you know what? Do you know who Stephen was? Let me tell you, nobody. Stephen was nobody until that moment. Stephen was your, your, your average guy. He could have been you. 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 Stephen was just an average guy that was touched by the Holy Spirit 
and stood up in a critical moment and began to speak. Now, we don't know how many times he spoke in private. We don't know how many times he shared the prophetic word with his mom, with his neighbor, at, at Tim Hortons. We don't know how many times he did this. But on this day, his name became inscribed in the history of the church as a significant voice. But this is what God does. He makes somebodies out of nobodies. And the difference is the anointing of God. Father, in Jesus' name, Father, I pray that the confidence to know that we too, Lord, can be anointed, that we too can stand in the market square, that we can declare the name of Jesus, Father, that we can speak the truth, and the truth is its own authority, that the truth has penetrating power, that the truth will cut to the quick, to the core of the hearts of religious hypocrites and unbelievers. God has determined that he's going to take the whole earth, and he chose Israel to do it at the very beginning. And the problem was Israel was never as convinced as God was. They were never equal in their conviction that this can or will happen. And so they were always guessing and wondering, and that made them vulnerable to intimidation and accusation. That made them vulnerable to fear. That made them vulnerable to the, the threat of slavery. And, uh, and when they were supposed to advance, they retreated. And God is going to establish a people on the earth that will not retreat. For whom retreat is not an option. No, I'm not going back. No, I'm not retreating from the public square. No, I'm not leaving and abandoning Spruce Grove. I'm not going to abandon Alberta. Huh. I want to tell you something. As these things have been happening in Canada, and I see the threats against our freedom, the thought entered my mind, I should go and buy land in Costa Rica. <laughs> but you know what? The Lord said to me, why would you do that if I've called you to stand here? Why would you do that unless you expect that the earth is going to be covered with darkness? But my promise is that the earth is going to be covered with light. And so why would you run from the darkness when I've called you to be the light? Why would you even think about retreating from the, the places where I've called you to stand? And I thought, well, it wasn't really a serious plan, God. It was just amusing. We, we live to serve the king. We live to serve his purpose. We live to advance light in the earth. And if we die and lose everything in the pursuit of that, then we simply make a way for the next generation that's coming. Because it is inevitable that the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. Let this imprint upon your mind, your heart, your expectation, and your hope today. We have no option. We will not turn around. We cannot retreat. All right. I want to count the three, and then we're going to release a shout to the Lord. I feel like we've come over something. Let's seal it with a shout. Are you ready? 
One, two, three. Amen. You know what that sounds like? That sounds like faith. It sounds like some people that believe. Woo! So God is looking for a people. And um, what he's found is a reluctant people, a sheepish people, an insecure people, a fearful people. And so the first order of business is extricating these things out of you. And we're going to see why that's important. But God is wanting to remove from you the fear, the doubt, the unbelief, the insecurity, because, well, I don't want to get ahead of it. You'll see why in a minute. But that's what he needs to do. Uh, and this we know. We know that Jesus said, the prince of this world is coming, but he has nothing in me. In other words, he was saying, the secret of my authority, the secret of my immunity is that there's no agreement inside of me with what the enemy brings. I don't side with his wisdom. When he says something, I don't think, yeah, you're right. I don't, I, there's nothing about what he says has any place. It doesn't strike me as common sense. It doesn't strike me as wisdom. And there's nothing in me that resonates with the same emotion that's fueling those words. There's nothing in me. So, so they cannot master me. And uh, so that's what God is doing to us. And uh, this morning I began to share in the first service about Rick Joyner's book, The Final Quest, and it's probably the best book ever written next to the Bible. But it gives a snapshot of this journey. And when I read it, I, I won't tell you the circumstances under which I read it because that will take up all my time. But uh, I remember thinking, this is exactly what's happening. If you haven't read it, you need to read it. But it, it, I'll break it down into two pieces. One is there's an ascension up the mountain. And the saints of God are ascending this mountain under fire of the enemy. And there's vultures and the demonic armies and everything all around. And some are being wounded. Some are being captured. Some are being, But people are ascending this mountain. And as they ascend, uh, they're growing in the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. They're growing in their conviction. They're growing in their assurance. They're growing in the sense of who they are. And, uh, and the weaknesses that are, are uh, common to man are falling off of them as they, as they ascend this mountain. And their skills for fighting demonic powers are increasing as they're ascending this mountain. And that's the very first part of what God is doing in our life. When you first become a Christian... God doesn't send you up against, you know, the Goliaths of this world. He starts by, you know, putting his word inside of you and getting you free from, from things and, 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 and harnessing your, your strength and tying it to his and giving you an ability to use a sword and shoot an arrow of life, you know, and all these things. The next phase of this in the book, and the, the idea was there that... that there are camps all around in the distance, 
And they were trying to overrun or overcome these camps. First, they were trying to stay alive. But then they realized, well, you know, there's, there's principalities behind the front lines of these things, and they're hiding, and we can't reach them. So they realized as they got higher that their arrows could shoot further, and they started to be able to have the skill and the ability to hit the strongholds. And then the whole journey was that they would eventually leave the mountain and go out and set all the captives free. And that's what God is doing. So God is, and the outcome is, is that every tongue and tribe, every place, every land, every knee. I mean, this, this thing is universal. There's, there's no place where the authority and the rule of God will not touch down. And so this is the assurance we have. You know, this is why the theology that darkness is going to cover the earth is so demonic. It's not darkness that's going to cover the earth. It's glory that's going to cover the earth. In fact, the trajectory we have from Scripture, both in, in a picture form, you know, in, in, from Proverbs, it says the path of the righteous is like the light of dawn. It gets brighter and brighter till the full day. Which way is it going? Brighter. It's going, getting brighter and brighter till the full day. Well, uh, I don't, it doesn't look like that in my life. I have significant setbacks. No, no, you actually haven't. You've come to moments where you've realized that you're in bondage. Okay, the bondage that you're already in has been made manifest to you. That looks like darkness to you, but it's actually light because something's become clearer. You just didn't know you were in bondage. You know, last week I talked about things in my life. And uh, maybe when you listen to me, I was talking, I try to use my life and not Wendy's as an example, especially when it comes to weakness. But I was, I was telling you the things that, that became obvious to me about what was wrong with me. And, and, I, and I, I speak it in very graphic terms because it became clear to me. But you know what? Before he enlightened it, it wasn't clear. It just looked like, a, oh, that's just a little defect. You know, nobody's perfect. And he said, look again. Right? And, and it's like the iceberg. The iceberg sticking out. It's like, well, it's not a very big iceberg. Until you really look at the whole thing. When you get to look at the whole thing, that seven-eighths of that thing is submerged in water. And we know that about the icebergs, but we don't know that about things in our life. You know, because we're busy cultivating, saying the right things and, and doing the right things. And we think, well, yeah, but I'm not perfect. I got that tiny flaw over there that my wife's always yelling about. But, you know, it's just a tiny flaw. What's the matter with her? And then until God says to you, well, it's more than that. Oh, really? He says, yeah, well, there's another eighth. Oh, shocking. I'm stunned. And, and so all of a sudden we see that oh, under, under the water, hidden from our view, there's another eighth. And then once we're accustomed to that and we're ready to deal with that honestly, he said, well, you know, there's a little more. What? Really? I thought that, that's, you know, it's, this is more than just a little thing sticking out of the ground in my life then. He said, yeah, it's, it's a little more. There's another eighth. And so on and so forth. And you, all of a sudden you realize this thing is just peeking out of your life, this thing, that, this, this flaw that came... It was rooted in something much more profound. Seeing that is advanced. Seeing that is an increase of light. <laughs> you guys got really quiet all of a sudden. So, uh, so this is the journey. And we're, we're taking that journey with God because he's needing a people through whom he will demonstrate the wisdom of God. To principalities and powers. He's good. He essentially, I remember when I was in Bible school, Mike Massa, 
he uh, was teaching a course from Ephesians called The Purposes of God. And it says, you know, for this purpose was the Son of God manifested that it might destroy the works of the evil one. Well, there's a couple of times in Ephesians, I think it's a couple of times, where it talks about the, the, the intentions of God, the, the purposes of God. From before the foundations of the earth, God had purposes. And one of his purposes was that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God would be made known to principalities and powers. Another, and the way he, he framed it, he said, he said, it's like God, when he saw the rebellion of Lucifer, he said, he said listen, I'm going to defeat you, but I'm not even going to raise a finger to do it. I'm going to create uh, something out of the dust of the earth, and I'm going to beat you with that. And this is what God has done. He said, listen, I, I am not your enemy. You are not my peer. You are not on an equal footing with me at all. So let me see, you know, what I can find that is more on your level. Because <laughs> God loves to expose and, and mock the arrogance of Lucifer and Satan. Yes, he does. It's funny, I say some things and I feel like this <laughs> fit this wet spot. Wait, where is that in the Bible? Anyway, um, but I wanted to talk about, uh, I believe, we're heading towards a victorious expression of the church that's going to unseat certain powers in certain realms that to, up to this point the church has sheer, uh, steered away from. In fact, you know, in many ways, we've been kind of retreat in retreat because of doctrines of devils. Doctrines of devils that says the church has no business, uh, you know, changing the world. Are you kidding me? This is what we're here for. You know, the whole idea of making disciples is to change the world. Everything we're trying to do is to change the world. We're trying to change governmental systems. We're trying to change bureaucracies. We're trying to change the basis on which we look at children, the way we look at marriage, the way we look at sexuality, the way we look at the human value. All of these things, we're here to change that. And what we're seeing is that we're seeing government encroaching in all the areas that actually apply or are the, are the domain of the church. And we backed off of that and we've let them. Anyway, I don't want to talk about that. I want to talk about the advance. I want to talk about what it's going to take to advance. And I want to talk about what it, uh, God's hierarchy of priorities. You see, uh, when I first became a Christian, there was a lot of talk about the Jezebel and the religious spirit. And so, uh, and I remember the first, you know, f the intimidation of the religious spirit and, and all the things that went along with that. And I, ah, man, I, maybe I won't tell you some, some testimonies, but I remember, I'll tell you one. But I remember being with a, particular choir group that was traveling in a particular province <laughs> and we went to this church and I found, I found I was frustrated because in this environment though it was supposed to be Christian though it was supposed to be Pentecostal those it it's like spiritual things were intimidating to everybody and as soon as you did something that was considered over the top spiritual this this flood of intimidation landed on you and i remember we were preparing to do this service in this church in a city up north that shall remain nameless we were we were praying well they called it prayer we were sitting quietly in a room and uh and i was trying to pray in tongues but i, I just thought 
I don't want to be the only one. And there was such a strong intimidation. It's like, it's like if you prayed in tongues too loud, people looked at you, well, who do you think you are? You're kind of standing out too much, you know. Don't shine so brightly. You know, that was, that was this suppressing thing. And so I was kind of whispering and praying, you know, trying to get a sense of revelation, get some traction, get some breathing room because I felt suffocated by this religious spirit. And I, I was sitting there and I was thinking, man, I, I don't even want to be here. And next thing you know, on the other side of the curtain, some intercessors from the church started showing up. And they started praying boldly and loud and unshamedly in the spirit. And they started making noise. Well, within seconds, I mean, the handful of them were praying louder than the 25 of us. I mean, it was, it was unbelievable. Not only that, but I'm sitting next to the window. I mean, not the window, the, the curtain. And I'm feeling the, the, the gusts of life. Literally, it's, it's an atmosphere, and it's coming through and over top. And it's just, it's just yeah. Right? It just feels like a good massage, you know, when you've got a knot in your back. Like, oh, oh, hallelujah. Glory to God. And, of course, it, it emboldened me. But, but I remember hating this atmosphere. What is this thing? Like, we're Pentecostals, for goodness sake. Right? We should be unashamed about doing these things. But there's all these... These murky thoughts and things, you know, well, you can't pray out loud unless it's interpreted. No, it doesn't say that. Doesn't. If you want to know what it says, talk to me later. Anyway, but that, that intimidation of the religious spirit had the church pretty much hemmed in. If somebody went to a church and they danced too much or they danced the wrong way or if they waved a flag or if they were too, made too much motion, the, the, uh, the room goes, who do you think you are? Flamboyant, excessively excited person. It's all soulish, you know. <laughs> but that was, that was that attack. And, uh, you know, we've broken through some of that. We broke, we, we, we've done it, and uh, I could share a lot about that. But recently, the Lord has begun, that's a religious spirit, the Jezebel. But recently, I believe the Holy Spirit has been putting his finger on the political spirit. And there's good reason for that. Because one of the promises that we have is in Isaiah 9, verse 7. This is what it says. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. Upon the throne of David and over his kingdom to order it and establish it with judgment and justice from that time forward, even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. Huh. So there is, a, there is a provision to accomplish this, and it is the zeal of the Lord. Boldness, my friends, will come. Through the spirit of the zeal of the Lord, send to accomplish this through you on the earth. But what it, the, the outcome is that we are going to become a governmental expression. 
And if you've, you've heard me talk about this, if you're a part of this church regularly, we've talked about the Ecclesia. We've talked about the fact that the Ecclesia, which has been translated in, into church in the English, and we said it's a community. It's not a community. It said it's, it's actually the initial word says it's a ruling council. A ruling council. In other words, it's a governmental body. It is an expression of a rulership uh, dimension or administration that subjugates everything else that rises up against it. This is what the church is. Not a, not a nice group of people enjoying quantania. We, we got that. We got fellowship. We got togetherness. We have love. We have, you know, meals together. When we're not being told by the government, we can't. But he said, I'm raising up a ruling system. It is a kingdom. And it's, it's not a kingdom like other kingdoms. It's coming out of the nature of whom I'm making my people. I'm making my people a ruling people. A dominion imposing people through the zeal and the glory of the Lord. The work that I'm doing inside of you is to make you powerful and to be able to subdue the earth before you. Yeah. Hallelujah. Woo-hoo. But here's the thing. Every time, uh, let, me, let me say this. Politics and government are not synonymous, but they go hand in hand. Because here's the thing, whenever you have uh, anybody looking or making decisions, you have a variety of opinions. You know, not, not amongst the Dutch, but certainly among... <laughs> that's, that's a joke. Actually, we have, we have a couple of people groups who argue about being, being the most argumentative. <laughs> the Dutch are up there. But the Jews also are up there. I had one Jewish rabbi who said, you know, if you've got three Jews in, two Jews in the room, you have three opinions. <laughs> and so basically, though, as soon as you have a diversity or plethora of opinions, you have, you have conflict. You have people, and the more energized people are in support of their opinion, the more, the more problems you have. And so that's why... People steer away from politics because politics has to do with decision-making. It has to do with creating consensus. It has to do with creating a plan to move ahead for a group of people. And that's, that's the role of government. It becomes political because, you know, we use that political, but the original word of the word political is not the controversial part. It's just the fact that it's, it's this dynamic of decision-making for a group in terms of uh, applying or apprehending power and uh, applying an initiative or, or a strategy going forward. It, it's become, we've used the word political as a synonym for controversial. When somebody politicizes an event, they're actually bringing a controversial angle into that event. So, so that happens everywhere. Let me tell you, that happens. If, if, if Curtis and a couple of friends are thinking, let's go out for, for dinner. And, uh, and when he says, what do you want? Well, I don't care. What do you want? Well, I'm, I don't care. And he said, what do you want? Well, I'm, I'm good. Well, let's go for pizza then. Nah. <laughs> That's the Canadian way. Pretend to yield. And then find some way to dismiss the value of the other suggestions. <laughs> right? Oh, yeah, pizza would be, except, you know, 
I got a heartburn issue. Let's do something else. No, not that either. No, not that. Because not that. only one choice left. Okay. <laughs> that's that's that astute political that people who want power become political. That means they, they, it's become synonymous with navigating controversy in a way to secure power without, without looking bad in doing that. So political animals have the ability to do that. They're manipulative. They're liars. They're deceivers. And so people steer away from the political realm because it's so controversial. And it's only controversial because there's no clarity on what's right. That's why it's controversial. But this is, this is a huge area. So, uh, so there is a stronghold in the political realm and let me say this, not exclusively in the political realm. A political spirit has probably done more damage to the church than any other spirit that we know. Church divisions are always at the hand of a political spirit. It might be uh, helped by a religious spirit or a Jezebel or something like that, but a political spirit is a spirit that rules over the divide. It is a spirit that rules, that actually masters and masterminds the conflict in order to have it rules over the confusion, over the inability of people to commit to a common course. And it, that's how it reigns. But it's based on the lack of clarity. So, I believe, if we're going to be the government of God, we've got to conquer a political spirit. Because you can't be governing without politics coming into play, without a variance of opinion coming to play. So you have to have, if you're going to have stable government, you have to have mechanisms for solving differences of opinion. In other words, you don't have the option to say, well, we just won't make a decision because that's not government. So if God is going to have a government, we've got to defeat the political spirit. Now, it's all working together, which is a beautiful thing because... God is saying, listen, your struggle right now with systems of government in the earth, I have the answer for. I have the answer for it. Now, let me give you one little example. Our friend Kim Wheeler is in Guatemala, and he's released a couple of videos here recently. And uh, I was on the phone with him after the last one because I'm, I'm going to Vancouver this afternoon to, to speak at an event. But uh, that is kind of political in nature. But he, uh, he had put up this video. I was just praying about whether I should go and happened to have Facebook open and he got on there and he said, and this was his message, it's time for the church to stand up. It's time for the church to stand up in the market. And he began to share the testimony of what's happened in Guatemala. Guatemala had some of the worst lockdown measures uh, on the planet. I mean, people were starving. They had told people who, you have to realize, in the Guatemalan life, they don't have weeks and weeks of food in their freezers. All right? They buy food every day. They have d food enough for a day and a half. Well, they were told you could not leave your... Oh, wow. In Jesus' name. I just, I just got hit by something. Father, in Jesus' name, we say... That political spirit is coming down. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Remember I told you earlier about when I first confronted, was confronted by a spirit when I was preaching, those of you that were in the first service? I literally, I, I, a wave of dizziness hit me when I walked over here. That is a spirit that we are confronting. 
And we will not come under the confusion of that spirit in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. But uh, Guatemala has been under these oppressive, oppressive, oppressive. They, the rural people were not allowed to go into the neighboring town. There's nowhere else to buy food. The stores are in the towns, and people lived in the rural communities were not allowed to go there. I mean, it was, it was oppressive and awful. They closed down the churches. Churches could not meet at all. And uh, anyway, this, things finally got desperate. And recently, in the last few months, uh, key apostolic leaders, and now we've made great strides with the unity of the church in Guatemala, but, but a whole other dimension of, of leaders that were not connected to us kind of came together. And they just said, no more. They just said together, no more. You know what happened? The government immediately turned about face. Immediately turned about face. So much so that some key people we know have been asked and consulted by the president himself about how this should go. They've opened the churches. You know, there's still certain precautions around COVID because COVID is still a thing. But the whole, and, and, and more importantly, he said, he said that the atmosphere of fear is gone. The atmosphere of fear over the land is gone. And it disappeared as soon as the church took its place. Not, not just one church, but the church. Significant. You know, if you're going to have a quorum, a, a political representation, a, a numeric representation of the whole, you, you need a certain number. You need a certain threshold of people that agree together. Right now in Canada, we have sporadic few here and there who are willing to put their heads on the chopping blocks. And the others, hoping that, secretly hoping they succeed, but when asked, they're condemning it. I will gladly walk in your victory, but I dare not pay your penalty. Anyway, we don't want to get political here, though. <laughs> yes, we do. We are called. You know, when, when the prophet, who was it, Jeremiah? Jeremiah was in Babylon, and the Lord said to him, he said, seek the welfare of the city in which you dwell. You know what he's saying? He said, get political. Do what's necessary for the city. Why is that political? First of all, you're going to have some Jews who don't agree with that, who don't want to do that. These are heathens. We, don't, we, don't want, we want this city to fail. Right? Like, this was a controversial thing. But the Lord told him, no, this is a part of who you are. It's God's desire to give us in our nation, in our city, in our region, abundant life. And we know the only way that's going to happen is through the knowledge of God, through laws and rules and policies that line up with truth. So how, how can we, if we're part of that, well, no, it's just our, it's our job to have a church and a building and to stay away from the world. No, it's our job to infiltrate, to rule, to reign, because our ideas are supreme. Our ideas are better. Because they're not ours, they're God's. And we need to be convinced of that. So, <laughs> I'm on my way. I'm on my way. But there, I was beginning to talk about this thing called hierarchy of, of priorities. And the political spirit is a stronghold that God has set his gaze on. And he's got his finger 
squarely pointed is because he knows that unless the church can rule over that political spirit, the divisive wiles that enter into congregations and people groups in the family of God, there's no way we can stay united unless we can overcome those divisive uh, efforts that cause us to continuously be fragmented. Right? When we are one, when we walk as one, when brethren dwell together in unity, then there is authority. So that spirit expressly works to divide us, to create interests that are misaligned. Now, let me share a couple of things about this. Uh, actually, I'm going to skip over some of the stuff I talked about earlier. I begin to talk about the uh, the priority, but just... Just realize this, that, that God has an order, that he is, he is taking down spirits in the same way he's taking down cities and nations in a certain order. We know Jerusalem is going to be the last one. But there's something about Jerusalem, the earth's first conquest of Jerusalem, that gives us a pattern. So I want you to turn to 1 Samuel, 2 Samuel 5. 2 Samuel 5, chapter 5 and verse 6. David He's got it in his heart to go and conquer the city of Jerusalem, which is set up on a, in a high place. It's got fortified walls. It's got a water spout, a water shaft in the middle of it. So it has an independent agrarian system. They can, they can grow crops. They can have you know, food there in the city. So sieging that city is, is, is not enough. You actually have to take it. And so when he comes up to that city, it says in verse 6, And the king and his men went to Jerusalem against the Jebusites, the inhabitants of the land, who spoke to David, saying, You shall not come here, but the blind and the lame will repel you, thinking David cannot enter here. And so that, that picture, uh, that's obviously a, a euphemism of, of a kind. There was, there were, there were hyperbole. They were enlarging the, the task in front of them, saying it's impossible to take this place. In fact, we don't even need proper warriors. We're just going to put a bunch of lame people in wheelchairs and the blind, and, and they're enough to guard this palace, you know, this, this city. And, uh, but it's a spiritual picture that when God is after a stronghold, strongholds are fortified by principalities and powers. And those powers have supernatural abilities. And uh, just like X-Men, Anybody ever heard of X-Men? So the X-Men, some X-Men have the ability to freeze things. They have the ability to make fire. They have the ability to make things invisible. They have the ability to, to do some things. Spirits have that kind of power. So when you come up against a stronghold, you come up against the, the tools, the weaponry of that spirit. And what they're saying here is that the ultimate stronghold, the last stronghold that the enemy is going to yield is going to be Jerusalem. It is the fortification, the greatest fortified. That's why this. That's why it's so so uh, you know politically divisive, right? I mean, Israel and Jerusalem, right, is politically divisive. So, any chance we should avoid politics, right? It's politically politic, politically divisive for a reason because there's a spiritual stronghold there. This is what we need to realize. We don't avoid things because they're controversial. We, when we see things are controversial, we know there's treasure there. When you see things that's being fought over, you know there's something worth fighting for. That's literally what Bob Jones told me about this church. He said, I want you, you're called to be there. And he told me a couple of reasons why. But he said, he said son, 
uh, when you, there's a tremendous spirit rising up against that church. But when you see that kind of spirit rising up, you know there's something worth fighting for. And so we're not backing away from things because of controversy, because wherever there's controversy, there's value. And so the, the value is being hid by the controversy, but there's treasure in the realm of the political, and that's why there's controversy. And so um, Jerusalem was one of those places, and, there was, and, and the picture, the construct the, of, the, of a spiritual stronghold is this. There is the treasure, like there is the actual stronghold itself, but there's an entity that guards it. There is a spirit that guards it. For you that love those mystic themes in movies, you know, you know, or games where there's, you know, different powers and entities fighting things and your righteous swords coming in, removing the darkness. Woohoo! Yeah. Anyway, what happens is when you go against the physical stronghold, you run into the spirit behind it. When you start touching some realm, when you go to Detroit you t- and you try to take Detroit for the Lord, you're going to run into a spirit, a principality that rules over Detroit. You're going to run into powers. When you go to somebody to evangelize them, there is a strong man in their life that encamps over their life. And when you come to them, you have to defeat that spirit. You have to defeat the rationale that that spirit has inculcated into their feelings and their minds and their rationale and their thinking and their philosophy of life in order to bring, bring salvation. You have to overcome that stronghold. So a political stronghold is something that needs to be overcome. Now, um, blindness and lameness, these are the main characteristics when I was telling you earlier when I felt that kickback and that was I haven't helped felt one that violent since I went into a an ancient temple in Taiwan I went into an ancient temple in Taiwan as they took me there as a tourist I was speaking and I walked across the threshold of that that temple and something hit me on the side of the head I got so dizzy I fell three steps to the side and almost fell to the ground and I, I remember thinking Oh, I've felt that before, but never that strong. Like that was that was strong. There's a there's something. Uh, there's a spirit here in this locality. But I remember when the f- Lord first made, caused me to be introduced to this. I remember the very first time I dealt with a spirit that was creating an atmosphere. I woke up in the middle of the night and I was terrified in my bed, absolutely terrified. And I'm and I'm thinking. I'm thinking, there's no reason. But, I mean, the room is electric with fear. I mean, it's just like, what is going on here? And I I just stood there, you know, kind of under my covers trembling. I thought, I'm not a scared person. Like, what what is this? And the Lord opened my spiritual eyes, and I saw that it was like a fog, like breath coming out of a being in the corner. And it was infecting the whole room, but it was actually a tiny little spirit. And and it just it took me some time, you know. I started praying in tongues, started creating another atmosphere, right? Until I got enough courage to begin to address and chase that thing out of the room. But I I, I began to learn to wrestle against spiritual entities. And uh, one of the things I realized that when I come to churches and I go to places and speak to people. Uh, I'm bringing a knowledge of God, but often what I get a kickback from is blindness and lameness. 
Blindness and lameness. What blindness does is makes you confused and unable to see clearly. Right? Makes sense? And lameness makes you unable to navigate uh, the stronghold you're trying to, to occupy. And so that those things are named that. That boast is there for a reason. It's actually speaking about very real things that are alive and well in the spirit at the core and defending every spiritual stronghold. And now God has been calling us to the church to touch the realm of the politics, to touch the realm of the city, to touch the gates of the city, to touch, to touch the land, because uh, we need to. It's a requirement to fill the earth with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. But what's going to happen when we touch that? What's going to happen? What are we going to do? I remember years ago when there was a, a political controversy here. It happened to be around me. Uh, honestly, this is, this is a proverbial kind of a, a thing because when people would see this, they would talk about this church and they would talk about it in its controver- because of its controversial nature. And it was controversial because it was touching high, a high stronghold, a significant stronghold, and there was kickback and the people that were a part of, of, of taking on that stronghold didn't have the wherewithal to stay cohesive. You didn't have the ability to stay united. And so it's, it's uh, you know, the, instead, of, instead of us being the word of the Lord and the enemy scattering seven ways, it was the church scattering seven ways. But what would happen is suddenly divisive issues would come up and people would become politicized. They would become polar opposites on issues that didn't matter. This is why I told you guys some time ago when I was talking about masks, I said, listen, masks are not the issue. I'm not going to wear one. All right? But everybody, a, a lot of people I know that are. My wife is wearing one all the time. Okay? I don't stop loving her. I don't stop being in the same car as her. I don't stop walking down, you know, the mall with her because she's wearing a mask. Because, you know, well, it makes me uncomfortable that you're, not the, you're on the same page. No, we're on the same page. We love each other. But what a, what a political spirit does is it takes a non-issue and infuses it with importance it doesn't deserve. All right? I mean, you can have a difference of opinion on this, and that's fine. But, but the point is, if it comes to the point where you start hating people because of their opposite stand, you have become the victim of a political spirit. And the stronghold that you're actually trying to defeat, now you, are, you have been marginalized. You've already been defeated because you've been caught up in the, in the struggle that a political spirit camps over. So what we have whenever we hit a demonic stronghold is you get a wave of confusion, and I want to talk about that for a minute, and then we're going to close. I, I've gone a little bit different direction today. But the question is, how, how do we, how do we get to a place where we, where we overcome these things? Remember the story I was sharing about the mountain, the Rick Joiner ascending the mountain, and how what's happening as you go up the mountain is you're gaining skills and you're gaining abilities that enable you to love people. And one of the beautiful things about as you're maturing is the, the, 
diversity of people you're able to love increases. Remember as a teenager, you, your three friends, you can only have three friends and because there's a very narrow criteria of what's friend worthy. <laughs> you remember being like that? It's sad. <laughs> well, we do that as Christians as well. We have a, you know, our theological friend group is very narrow. You know, anybody outside is automatically suspect, automatically, you know, anathema to me. You know, I'm not sure if I can love you. I know you're you're probably going to be in heaven, but then you really know how wrong you are. <laughs> uh, but uh, but there there are these uh, there are these things in us that sideline us when we go to walk in authority. Father, I pray in Jesus' name right now. I say to the waters of dissent, I say to the waters of confusion, be quiet in Jesus' name. I say right now, let those waters be still. Father, I say let the clarity and the peace of God enter in to every heart, every, every mind, every person, here in this room, in Jesus' name. So here's what happens. Uh, and you've seen this on all kinds of theatrical dramas or sitcoms or whatever. But if, if, you're, if there's a, a squabble, maybe in the lunchroom, and somebody says to you, or, or somebody says, oh, we should, we should not have these, I don't know, what's, a, what's the name of a candy? Which Skittles. Yeah, we should not have Skittles in the lunchroom because, because and, and, and somebody who really wants Skittles finds some way to dismiss your opinion. And they usually dismiss your opinion not on the basis of the value or the lack of value of Skittles, but, you know, whether you're short or bald or fat or, or stupid or, right? They right away go for, I, I am going to dismiss your opinion, not because actually dealing with the, the rationale that you have, but I'm finding some weakness in you that will intimidate you so that you recoil from this discussion. That's, that is a political spirit. That is an intimidating political spirit. When David rose up to do what God called him to do, he went down to, with his brothers, you know, he's bringing some food. He's the low man on the totem pole, right? You know, he's, he's, he's with the sheep most of the time, and he hears about this Goliath attacking and Israel and threatening and mocking and uh, and he's thinking, he's thinking, what is going on here? Where's my brothers? They wouldn't stand for this. And of course, he finds out. And one of the brothers, what does the, the brother do? The brother mocks David the same way Goliath mocked him. This is important. He, see, all Israel, these mighty warriors, these people with skills, these large men, you know, who spent their years fighting, are standing there and they're quaking in their shoes. They can't go out. Why? Because this is a spiritual stronghold. And it's tapping into something inside of them because spiritual authority always works through the essence of what you are. That's why when Jesus said, the prince of this world is coming, but he has nothing in me. So I, I am not one who belittles people based on their physical characteristics. I'm not one who mocks people based on or dismisses their importance relative to this, to this discussion because they don't have an X, XYZ title. I, I, I don't do that. 
And so I value people. I value people. So when that spirit comes and, and tries to mock Jesus, she's like, whatever. You, you got to come up, come up with something better than that. But when you are a mocker, when you look down your nose at others, when you are dismissive, when you like to get your way by striking people's weak spots, when somebody does that to you, you fall like a, a cardboard house. Why? Because that thing has something in you. See, David didn't have that. And so when his brother tried what Goliath immobilized him with, he tried to immobilize David, said, Oh, what are, you, what are you doing here? Who do you think you are? You know, where's those few sheep your dad has you? This is all mocking. Like, you don't even belong here. Your opinion doesn't matter. You don't even know what courage is. You don't have dismissive attacks to intimidate him. If there was any ground of self-doubt within David, those words would have grabbed that self-doubt and immobilized David. But they were like, yeah, whatever. Okay, you, you know, and he just goes on the next time. What, what's going to happen to the one who kills, you know, the Goliath and removes this, this, this uh, stain off of Israel? So did you notice how he quickly did that? It's like, I don't even know what you're talking about. What is that? That's authority. That's freedom. Now, here's, here's our problem. Sometimes we try to act that way, but we don't have it. <laughs> right? Something happens where we say, no, I, I'm free, and then we're out with a couple of guys, and somebody says something. I remember having this so many times. It just immobilized me with intimidation. I remember one time I was standing with some guys, and I was, uh, I, I, I used to be a, a real athlete. I wasn't quite gone from there. I was, <laughs> you know, I was 19 years old or something. I was still in pretty good fit, uh, in pretty good shape, but I remember I was standing there, and I, I had this physical picture of myself, and uh, and so we were talking about weight loss and physiques and everything. So yeah, I usually stand like this. And this guy, the other guy next to me, says, "No, you don't. You usually stand like this." <laughs> and he sticks his stomach. Up. And I remember just I felt the blood rush to my head. I felt the the fear, like that anxiety. That, that have you ever anybody ever had that happen ever? And you don't know what to say, and you feel awkward. And you sort of retreat. Not physically, but from participation in what's happening in the room. You've been marginalized, baby. Not maybe by, on purpose, but what do, if that happened by accident, what's going to happen when they do it on purpose? What happens when you step into a real scenario where there's money, power, wealth, I mean, high-level things that stand in the balance you, you can't even handle a subtle comment about people with no hair, and it wasn't even directed at you. Ouch. Well, like, right? How many insecurities do we have that make us vulnerable? God is saying, listen, I want you to ascend the mountain of God. There is a place of freedom. There's a place of empowering. There's a place of of where you know who you are. You know where you're supposed to be. When you say such and such, you know whether you're saying it out of boasting. And uh, David, he, he, he had none of it. And he was immune. He was like Teflon. Just no flies on me, mate. And it just slid right off of him. That blindness and that lameness, that inability to participate in this thing, he wasn't halted at all. 
You see, if we're going to take over spiritual strongholds, Father, in Jesus' name, we need to be whole. We need to be whole. What's happened over and over in this church is we got some semblance of an apostolic authority and prophetic release to go after something, but the kickback told us we weren't ready because all of a sudden uh, the gaps in our armor became immediately exploited and relationships were broken. I believe we're on the verge of touching something on a whole other level. But it's going to take even more discipline to guard ourselves from some of these things and be honest about ourselves. And when somebody says something casually off the cuff in a meeting or as they're walking by and you feel stung and you feel uh, maligned, you feel excluded, you feel something, and you know it's not edified, (laughs) don't blame that person. Start to find out why is that so intimidating? You know... Why, why did I respond like that? I mean, it's a casual little comment. It wasn't even about me. But all of a sudden, I'm not coming to church for a week. I'm not calling anybody for, you know. And, and the, but yet, yet, when the moment comes and that intercessory, you know, exhortation is like, oh, yeah, we're going to go up the mountain. We're going to take the stronghold. You can't take a stronghold. You can't even take an off-the-cuff comment. So God's doing this thing. Making us sure, freeing us. So what you need to watch for is when the light's coming into your life and God is saying, a little bit of insecurity there, a little bit of fear there. See, the thing about, and when the enemy comes, and you're seeing this right now in the marketplace, when we go into discussion, there's polar opposite opinions, and people are speaking out of fear. You know what I notice? When you are fearful, fear sounds like wisdom. When you are fearful, fear sounds like wisdom. If you are greedy, if you're at your core, if you have greed in you, and we're talking about sharing, you know, an inheritance, you're going to have an inordinate expectation of how much is going to come to you, and you're going to think that that's correct. You're going to have an imbalanced view of how, you know, there's $100,000 coming to three siblings in a, in a, in a family, and you, you feel like 75% of that is owed to you because, well, mom liked me more. And, uh, you know, I did help a little bit more, and this is the right way. Plus, you've got a job and a lot of money. There's all these reasons why greed thinks this is the common sense way to go. You see, we align with things because it's what's in us. And when somebody speaks with a greedy tone, with a greedy knowledge, with a greedy rationale, and we have greed inside of us, that sounds like common sense. That's, That's wisdom right there. So how do we not get blinded when we start to talk about issues if those issues have touchdown points inside of us? And the reason why Christians have steered away from these places is because we've gone up to them all pompously and self-righteously as though we had the answers and we quickly got dismissed and we found ourselves having no authority, no ability to penetrate because so much of what's being talked about, we were riddled with it and we immediately were exploited and dismissed and sidelined. And we decided, I think God's just not calling us to politics. I think God's just not calling us to touch the marketplace. Oh, the city gate thing, now that's an old-fashioned, outdated idea. Let's just have a little group of six of us, of whom I'm the strongest. 
<laughs> and there is a caption of the history of the church. Let's retreat to the smallest and smaller and smaller group where I'm in charge. And never deal with our weaknesses, our, our, uh, our common ground that we have with the enemy. Dismiss the fact that we're over and over exploited and marginalized by principalities and powers and become, until we're on the backside of the culture of Canada and have no voice, no influence, and no place. God is saying, that is not what I've called you to be. I've called you to rise up. I've called you to have authority. I've called you to carry a word in the zeal of the Lord that wins the day. And not because you hate them and not because you're against them, but because wisdom and the zeal of God has occupied such a place inside of you. You cannot help but have authority when you open your mouth. That's where we're going. And the proof that we're doing it is we have it. And if we don't have it, if we don't have authority, let's get ourselves some. Let's find out, okay, God, what is it in me that brings me underneath, that causes me to come under that person? That's a godless philosophy. I don't believe it at all. It's not what I believe, but I can't seem to come over top every time I'm talking to these people. What is it that I can't see clearly when I begin to talk to them? Spiritual strongholds. We're not called to retreat from them. We're called to deliver them. And God is going to have every corner of every part of our culture, every piece of our land, every state, every city, every province, every county, every church. So let's get on with it. Father, I pray today. Lord, I... uh, I feel like like I've delivered this in a haphazard, confusing way today, but I pray, God, that the seeds of these truths, God, would uh, find a place in our hearts. That, Father, the champions of grace that you've made us and called us to be, that that would come to the forefront. And, Lord, that we would rule in the gates of our enemies. In Jesus' name, amen.